I have a bit of a confession to make. When I very first saw this episode, all the way back in the day, it pissed me off. And I'll be honest about that. It was just like, oh, what the hell? When I rewatched it, I liked it a lot more. When I rewatched it with analysis mode on, it pissed me off again. But not quite in the same way. Or rather, for exactly the same reason, but not in the same manner. And I'm not make, explain, making any sense, so I'm just going to keep going. <clears throat> in this episode, Tom Paris gets punished in basically four separate ways. Reduction of rank, 30 days imprisonment, solitary confinement, and reduced quality of life for all of that duration. All these together. That's what pisses me off. And I, I hate to start on this, because this is my biggest thing I want to talk about in this episode, but really, does anyone else think that seems a little disproportionate to the crime that he committed? Especially given the circumstances? I know, I know, mitigating circumstances don't count in a court of law. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm acting really dickish regarding... I sh I've made it clear my points on this matter. I don't agree with the concept of law being absolute. I've always felt that law is a good set of guidelines for normal circumstances. When you go into unique circumstances or circumstances that are the exceptions, that's when the law ceases to really apply, and the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law starts to be the mattering point. That's been my perspective. It's just my perspective, not right or wrong. <clears throat> but my point here is how many other crew members have violated Janeway's orders in this fashion to accomplish this? Tuvok! did that. So did Bellana. So did Seska. Although Seska doesn't quite count. Um, Harry has and will again. Uh, let's see, who else? Um, Chakotay, he did that once. Um, I, think, I think that's everyone, maybe. Uh, Seven has a couple times. I guess that's valid. My point is, of all of these, this is like the second most disproportionate punishment that Janeway doles out. And I say second because actually later in this season she will be very punishing towards another crew member for a very minor slight. I'm referring to the episode The Disease, for anybody curious. Now the really weird thing is, on analysis mode, this is how this changed. I think this is part of Janeway's character arc. Now as we've already established, Janeway's character arc was done by Kate Mulgrew. Not the writers, not the producers. But that's still valid, right? As I discussed all the way back in the episode night, that is still a valid interpretation, as is our interpretation of the character. And I know I can say our easily because many people, including several of my viewers, had the same interpretation without us collaborating beforehand. And we're all just like, yeah, we totally agree on that point. I think this is Janeway showing how bad of a captain she is, to be blunt. Showing how much uh, she is losing her capacity to be a captain, to maintain order. She feels like she's losing control, or she feels like she has to make the hard decisions. I actually know what that feels like personally. Feeling like you have to make the hard decision, so you automatically lean towards the hard decision, even if it's not actually called for, or it wasn't the best decision of the circumstances. I do know what that feels like. I'm sure several of you do as well. And I feel like that's what Janeway did here. I must punish Tom in a cruel and unusual punishment. And I'm just going to say that. I believe what she did was cruel and unusual. Again, of those four things, some combinations, sure. All of those combined, no, that's, that's unkind. I don't want to get too much into this topic, but the human mind, and by consequence any sapient mind in Star Trek, needs input. It needs interaction. 
we literally require interaction to function, to continue to have sanity. You put someone in an isolation booth for a period of time, the longer it goes, the more they will degenerate into raving madness. The very first episode of The Twilight Zone ever, the pilot, was about this very topic. And there have been studies done since then in real life that completely back up this idea. So to me, isolating someone is, is, is a horrible punishment to begin with. It's the kind of thing that, to be blunt, doesn't exist in the Empire. Because it's simply considered too cruel of a punishment. It is, it is effectively a form of torture. I know punishment's supposed to be bad, I'm not arguing that, but you are literally torturing someone by doing that. And call me weird, but I'm not a fan of torture. I'm getting upset. <laughs> Sorry. And, and she exacerbates it, too. Like I said, it's all four. It's not just exacerbates. Yeah, whatever. I don't know how to say that word. Let, let's go back to my notes. I haven't even got to my notes yet, because I just wanted to get that off my chest. Well, the one other thing I want to mention. Why is it you think that Tom was so interested in this, invested in this? The problem is, I believe, and I hate myself for saying this, it was because he was going to be sad at the loss of the ocean. And he loses a lot of sympathy for me for that fact. Now, don't get me wrong. The environment is a beautiful thing. The ocean is a beautiful thing. I don't think the loss of such a thing is worth the extremity of the, the actions he took. You know what I would have done it for? The people. Those people's way of life is probably going to be destroyed by the loss of that bubble of, of ocean. Those people's way of lives may literally be destroyed. They may literally lose their lives at the lack of cohesion. They may lack the ability to adapt properly. They may find themselves roaming travelers again and not capable of making ends meet because they're so mired in their ways. We see a lot of this uh, traditionalist mindset in these people while we're, while we're seeing them, even in, amongst the scientists. So um, in my mind, if Tom had been doing it to save the people, then hell yes, I am fully behind him. 100%. He's not. He makes, he makes no reference of that whatsoever, and he repeatedly just says he's here to save the ocean. That makes it a little more gray. Maybe that was done on purpose. I don't know. Uh, but it also makes Tom a little bit more difficult to defend. Still think it was a disproportionate punishment, though. The interesting thing about this episode is the original storyline was just the ocean drama. They added the framing device of the 30 days to pad it out because they were almost 10 minutes short. Now, the, an episode running short is actually pretty common. In fact, it's more or less the norm. But 10 minutes is a huge chunk. And a lot of that is because the visual effects and graphics for the underwater sequences were pretty damned expensive and costly in both time and money in order to make. So they, uh, by the way, they were actually nominated for an Emmy, Emmy for the effects in this uh, episode. And it kind of shows they did some really good work with the water thing. Um, but yeah, so... They were shy, and they were like, okay, well, why don't we have these things with Tom in, in the, in the uh, brig for the, over the course of the 30 days? And they do some really good stuff with that. And it's funny, because that's actually where the story really shines, in my opinion. When we see Tom and how he's reacting to the consequences of his action. I also would like to say that McNeil nailed this episode. He loved doing it. 
Uh, McNeil went on record saying he, he had an absolute blast with it and really liked the separate sections. He liked being a rebel again, and he liked being a rebel with a cause this time. Uh, there's actually a wonderful scene between him and Bolana where Bolana admits she's proud of him for having a cause, something Bolana would understand very well, wouldn't she? And I already mentioned the Nami thing, uh, the Nami, the Emmy thing here. I'd also like to point out there's a pretty good teaser, uh, all things in, in considered equally, because the teaser is just, you know, you stripped of rank events in, you're in the brig, that's the teaser. It works really well, and it's another one of those instantly catches your attention deals. Uh, my first thought was actually, I was reminded of back when Tom was pretending to be uh, doing badly with the crew in order to get himself tossed out. Uh, now, I, I hate to point this out, but remember back when he was doing that? That was season one or two. I think it was season two, because it was before Basics. Remember when Tom was act actually punched Chakotay? Did he get demoted in rank and given 30 days of solitary for assaulting a superior officer? Now, you could say, well, he was doing it under orders. And that's true. Chakotay didn't know that. Remember? I'll let it go. So, really good teaser. Um, and I already mentioned my thoughts about it being a cruel and unusual punishment. Or, really, just a cruel punishment. Um, and I also like it how uh, Tom's writing the letter... It's a nice touch because Tom has basically three character arcs that go across the, the whole of Voyager. There's his growing uh, acceptance of responsibility and, mire, and still mere, uh, trying to make that work with his own desire to do good. You know, he, he, I've also said Tom Paris is chaotic good. He, he is primarily interested in working on his moral compass and doing the best thing he can in the circumstances. He's in many ways a Kirk Light. Um, and so his uh, adding responsibility and long-term thinking to that, that's that first arc. And he's been going through that and effectively still is for all intents and purposes. The second arc is the Bolana arc, the accepting of those responsibilities as well as the adding layer and depth that that relationship gave to both him and to her. I've already sp spoken about that several times. This episode's another good example of how that relationship adds to both characters as opposed to it just being there for window dressing, so props there. The third character arc, though, the third character arc is with his father, Admiral Paris. Now, Admiral Paris was actually mentioned all the way back in Caretaker, but has only really been brought up in the Letters Going Home episodes since then. He's been mentioned a couple times, but the Letters to Home is where that really came to the forefront. And if you remember, at the end of that, Tom didn't actually get a letter from him. He wanted, he, he was like, no, I don't want it. I'm going to leave. Well, maybe I do want it. Maybe I don't. I don't know. And, and there was this great, wonderful scene between him and Bolana about that. And it was amazing. And it was an incredible scene. I already talked about that. But it was a continuation of that arc. This is the next step. The way he said it at the end of Coda was, was, a, was a genuine step forward. It was really good character development, which will actually remain canon because his arc does remain consistent throughout all of Voyager. It will actually reach completion when he finally gets to see and talk to his father and the two actually finally connect for the first time. Ironically, after having been literally physically separated for many years, <laughs> or at least a couple of years. But I just like that he deliberately codes the letter not just to explain himself and to defend himself, but so that his father can understand him a bit better. And there's that unspoken optimism that is left in there. It seems pointless. Tom himself says it's pointless. And yet, 
there's that little bit of hope he's left with that someday they might get back to earth and someday his father might still be alive by the time they get there to read this message from his son. And I like that. Um, Captain Proton is awesome. That's all I gotta say about that. I literally put Captain Proton and a smiley face. I always love seeing more of Captain Proton. I'll be discussing more about why I think that is in The Bride of Chaotica, which is not too long from now. Uh, the Delaney Sisters. This is the technically one of two times we ever see the Delaney Sisters. They've actually been mentioned several times, going all the way back to season one. But they were shown here, finally. They are... They basically were supposed to be shown a second time, and that didn't actually end up happening on on camera. I believe there uh, that you can find deleted scenes that shows the other thing. I'm not positive about that. My copy doesn't have that. Uh, my copies of Voyager don't have that. But I've seen it referenced several times, so I'm assuming it's out there somewhere. Regardless, this is the one and only shot. So there they are, the Delaney sisters. Okay. Um, <laughs> just wanted to mention it. Let's uh, let's also talk about the ocean globe. Now, the idea of a rogue planetoid is something that we understand and know in real life, and it's an interesting fictional concept as well. For those of you who don't know what I mean, a rogue planetoid is a planet that has nothing else. It's not part of a system. It's not part of a belt. It's not part of a nebula or some, any kind of ge uh, uh, celestial phenomenon whatsoever. It's literally a planet completely on its own. And the idea of a rogue planetoid that can support life is actually feasible, it would just be very, very different from most kinds of life that we understand and accept. Uh, something that Enterprise completely failed at, but I don't want to rag on Enterprise here. So the idea of a rogue ocean is admittedly fascinating to me. The idea that it could have naturally formed is unlikely, but still plausible enough to just engage the, 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 the imagination. Because it's a fascinating idea. Just the, I don't even know how to explain it. It's got that cool factor, like so many... Uh, natural phenomenon do, both celestial and terrestrial. And it's just, oh my god, I can't believe that's actually a thing that's so beautiful. And I'm totally with him on that. Admittedly, I have a bit of romanticism on the sea myself, which brings me to my next topic. The idea that uh, Tom is very romanticized of the sea, partially because of his childhood, partially because of the way he is. The entire concept of a seaman's life, really, is all about the freedom of it. You go out and you make things work by the sweat of your back and the sweat of your brows and the work of your arms and you pull the ship together and you work it through the thing. It's, it's work. It is hard work being a sailor. <laughs> really hard work. I'm literally physically incapable of doing that kind of work at this point in my life. But it's the kind of thing that you still understand the appeal of. Because, I mean, for all that hard, wonderful, you know, arduous work, you get up there and you just stare at the horizon and there's the spray of the sea in your face and the wind rushing through your hair or lack of hair, as the case may be. And it's just a thing. It, it, it's the romanticism of it. And even in real life, even if you're actually doing it, there is still a lot of appeal to it, just like with, for example, mountain climbing, which is something I've actually uh, done a fair amount of back before the accident. So, you know, you get that, right? So I'm totally with Tom on the romanticization of the ocean, of the water, and yeah. It's funny, though, because he's actually, uh, he really does do the uh, Jules Verne thing, because he, he, he doesn't go on the ocean, he goes into the ocean. He's a submersible. By the way, props to the writers, the Delta Flyer was specifically crafted, they, they mentioned it, they were mentioned they were going to make it, then they specifically crafted it to go into a place that has high pressure problems, a gas giant. The next place it's really used at significantly here is when they're going into an ocean with lots of pressure. So a nice little uh, callback there, and it works surprisingly well. What does not work surprisingly well is the damned eel. 
I was... <coughs> the whole time I was seeing that thing swim through the waters and attack them, I was reminded of Episode One, Star Wars, Episode One, The Phantom Menace, when they're going through the planet, which is a whole other level stupid I don't want to talk about right now. And this big old eel thing's going on. I'm menacing you. And what I remember most about that scene is how it had a complete absence of tension. The music was good. John Williams. Good visuals. Luke, uh, not, uh, Industrial Light and Magic. But the actual scene was just, it was yawn-worthy. That's how I felt here, too. It's like, okay, there's a giant eel and it's attacking them. Okay, wake me when they're done. I'm sorry, I'm exaggerating a bit, but that is basically how I felt. There was no energy in the scene whatsoever, ironically. Now, that being said, one thing I really like is the artificial nature of the water globe, which, admittedly, while a water globe being uh, a natural phenomenon is fascinating, it being an artificial phenomenon is actually more interesting to me. I don't really know how to explain why. The idea that there's a species out there that would want to create a globe, a sphere of water in space and keep it contained and all the, the aspects of, of, of making that function as a, as a habitat is fascinating to me. It strikes me as a very unique form of terraforming. In actual fact, the thing I was most reminded of when they kept describing the, the race that sucked all the oceans and all the life forms and all that into this thing over 200 years was the Takan. You remember them? No, well, I don't blame you. Uh, the Takan are one of the two, uh, excuse me, one of the three ancient races of Star Trek. The other ones being the Iconians and the, I forget their names, the Precursors, basically. The guys who made everyone humanoid. And that just kind of sounds like right up their alley. The kind of thing they would do basically just to see if they could do it. And that's cool. It might not have real big function. It might have been just done for scientific curiosity. It might have been done as an art thing. Who knows? I just like the concept. Shrug. Feel free to share with me how much you hate, or indeed love the concept, or other uh, concepts of why you think they might have done that. Now, um, one of the things I find ironic is the doctor, when he comes to visit Tom, is extremely unhelpful, uncaring, and unsympathetic. I find that odd, since I figured, of all people on the Voyager crew, the one person who can understand what it's like being stuck in a room all day, every day, not being able to leave for long, long periods of time, I think the doctor would be the one who would actually understand and sympathize with that. But no, he's just like, bye. Huh? That irritated me a little bit. But one thing I liked about that, it was a good Lower Decks perspective. As I'll talk about whenever we get to the TNG episode, the Lower Decks, the great thing about that episode was it was a completely normal TNG episode, just we didn't get to see all the things we normally do. So we had literally tiny bits and pieces of the picture. So imagine what's going through Tom's head, someone who's used to being on the bridge, or one of the officers, regardless, and immediately going to the bridge, and knowing everything that's going on, again, that, that interaction, that input thing that humans are, are used to, and having none of that, just the ship's shaking, and he bonks his head on a bulkhead, and that's it, that's all he's got. That's how it feels to most crew members, I imagine. Whenever the Voyager ship gets rocked around by an anomaly or an alien encounter or God knows what, because there's plenty. And I like the, uh, the, 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 uh, the idea that the crew has just kind of gotten used to that. Because I imagine it's like that everywhere. Especially on Voyager, which is out in the frontier. But other ships, even normal ships, probably people down below are not really used to 
or, or, or rather are very used to the idea of the ship just suddenly shaking or suddenly becoming under attack and they, they run to their station and they do what they can and then they they learn through the rumor mill what the hell happened later right and that information might not even be accurate because it's called a rumor mill for a reason grind the information down until it's a nice little powder now one of the other things I like uh, about this episode is they make it unclear if it is traditionalism or bureaucracy, politics basically, that are preventing them from uh, acting on this information immediately. And this is a nice touch. They make it unclear if the aliens are going to act immediately or are going to act at all. And we never find out. Voyager leaves. We have no idea what happened to these people or what happened to this ocean. Did they adapt? Did they lower their mining policies? Did they find a new way to gain more oxygen? You know, we have no idea. All we know is that we gave them our recommendations and the information, and then we left, right after nearly terrorizing uh, them by sabotaging one of their things. That's it. That's all we've got. I mention this, though, because, as I said before, I would have liked it better if Tom had been doing it for the people rather than the ocean, so I can't sympathize with him more. But I feel like that's a negative thing for the plot. What I feel is a positive thing for pushing it into the gray, because the previous thing pushes it into the gray too, but I feel a positive way to push it into the gray is this perspective. We don't know if they're actually obstinate. They're, they're portrayed as if they are, but we don't actually know. His first thought might have been for his career, as we saw, but that might not have been his final thought, and we don't know how the actual council is going to react to that. There are several different possibilities of how this could work out, right? Um, one of the other interesting things is the unusual amount of uh, non-tension and yet a weird form of tension in the finale. Janeway made the comment that she would have destroyed Tom in order to salvage the situation. I don't believe that for a second. As I mentioned earlier, Janeway's like hard choices. Yeah, sure, that's fine. Um, Janeway, you just spent the last episode doing extremely morally questionable things and ethically unsound things, and pissing off your staff to save one of their lives. Remember that? Talked a while about it. I don't think you're going to go shooting one of your people just because they're disobeying orders. Disciplining them. Yeah, sure, as I mentioned, that's in consistent with your unique character arc you're going through. But I can't believe you would actually try and fire on with the intent to kill one of your own high-ranking, upper-echelon, bridge-crew, best-pilot, and also the guy who invented and designed the Delta Flyer in his spare time. And also, uh, I, I mean, I'm sorry, I, don't even, I can't even list the, this, this guy's accomplishments. Tom has already done so much and will continue to do so, by the way. That's going to be a continuing trend. There is no way she would have actually shot him in my mind. But the weird thing is that the scene was shot well enough and played well enough that there was a lot of tension. And Janeway, the way she was being portrayed by Kate Mulgrew, was clearly just very tense literally tense, and very torn up about the action she was about to take. So shooting the torpedo, uh, shooting the missile to ensure that it wouldn't do the sabotage was actually the obvious thing. So it was one of those weird things. Because I feel the tension that is there was not from whether or not she will destroy Tom, because that was never in question for me. It was in whether or not he would force her to act, whether or not he would pull back or not. And he didn't. I love the coda. I've already mentioned why I like the coda with regards to the letter, the optimism in that. But the other thing I like about the coda, and again, this is that relationship being good, done to good thing. Balana and him have a short conversation. 
It's short. It's brief. It's audio only. And yet in it, we get the feelings of just how much these two people care about each other. And you get the impression in her voice and her words just how much she has missed him, how much she's been concerned about him, how much she cares about him. And again, she's probably very sympathetic because Bolana probably understands what it's like to be punished for doing something you believe in. That's all I got. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at the final September episode, looks like. Another romance episode, but it's okay. Really, it is. Because it's a good one. I, I know, no one was more shocked than I that Voyager would do a good romance episode. But here it comes, next week, Counterpoint.